The Lords of Discipline Podcasting Group is proud to bring you the Two-Headed Nerd's second annual Golden Beppo Awards, celebrating excellence in comic bookery for the year 2012. And now, your hosts, Matt Bob and Joe Patrick. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Please, please, take your seats. Please. You're too kind. You. Hey, keep your top on. This is a classy show. Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to be the first to wish you all a happy new year and welcome to the second first annual THN Golden Beppo Awards, where we'll be recognizing the standout comics, creators, and characters that brought us back to the comic shop every Wednesday. And of course, I won't be doing it alone. Put your hands together for my co-host, the hardest working podcaster in the business, Mr. Matt Baum. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really. It's, it's too much, you guys. You guys are great. Seriously. Sit down. Thanks. This is ridiculous, and I want to go to feel bad, you guys. Come on. (laughs) Thank you so much. As we have for one year now on this very special show, Joe and I will be awarding the prestigious Golden Beppo to the best that the comic world had to offer for 2012. But unlike other award shows, there's no envelopes, so we could be changing our minds on the spot, and of course, we'll be arguing about our choices like an old married couple. Joe and I will be handing out separate awards, but they are all Golden Beppos, worthy of equal amounts of prestige and creator bragging rights. Before we get started, earlier this week we asked for your suggestions for the THN Listener's Choice Award, and the votes have been tallied. The categories were Best Writer, Best Artist, and Best Series. So now, I'll hand the mic over to THN's Chief of Social Networking and my best booby, Joe Patrick. I accept that title. I did not expect such a wide and varied response for each category from our faithful listeners. 2012 truly was a wonderful year of comics, and it showed because everybody, it seemed, had a different answer. Mainly because we didn't give them a ballot. (laughs) Well, listen, (laughs) hey, your favorite is your favorite. Next year, we're going to force you guys to pick stuff. (laughs) But at the end, once all the votes were tallied, there there were clear favorites in each category. The Listener's Choice Award for Best Writer went to Saga Writer Brian K. Period Vaughn. Saw that one coming. Of course. Saw that one. Made a lot of best of year best of the year. List. Yes. He kind of ran away with that category. Best artist goes to David Aja beating Fiona Staples by only one vote. It was literally like watching a car race, it was neck and neck. Where not a horse race. You're, if the I'm, the I'm cars counting... were neck and neck, not the horses. Is that yeah, what you're yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, I read it one vote at a time, and Aja would edge ahead, then Staples, then Aja, then Staples, then they'd be tied. And at the very end, David Aja pulled ahead by one there you vote. Go. Boys are better Hawkeye than girls, artists. like we always say on this show. And finally, the Listener's Choice Award for Best Series goes to. Saga that from Image Comics. Excellent choice. There were a lot of great books and creators to choose from this year, but these were the clear winners as chosen by the faithful listeners of THN. Thanks once again to everyone that voted. But now it's time to get to the main event, the 2012 Golden Beppo Awards. Folks, this is a full-on spoiler alert. Nothing is off the table here, and some of the books that we're going to be talking about are less than a month old. So... You have been warned. That's right. You can't talk about the best of the best in moments and books and issues without getting into some specifics. So be aware. Our first few awards go to the outstanding characters of 2012, without which we wouldn't have comics. Let's start with this year's best new 
character. Joe Patrick, who was your best new character of 2012? This was a tough one for me because a lot of 2012 was about revitalizing existing books. It's true. And so when it came right down to it, I had to think pretty hard about who stood out as a breakout character in the new year. And I had to give it to Calvin Rose, star of Talon. That's a great choice. From DC. That's a great choice. I like that choice a lot. Uh, namely because, like you said, they revitalized a lot of characters this year, like Captain Marvel, most notably, <clears throat> which she made a lot of best of lists, which I don't necessarily agree with. I don't love the book, and I don't think Carol Danvers was the problem. I mean, like, I got she's got a new uh, outfit, stuff like that. <laughs> the only thing that really held me back from enjoying Captain Marvel was the art. Oh, the art's just awful. It's just a bad choice for me. But I think Calvin's a great choice because he's unlike any of the heroes we've seen. He, yeah, really, he's not even a hero. No, if you he's, get, an, real, he's an escape artist. Right. I mean, more than anything. My choice this year went to a similar character who kind of came out of nowhere, a character that I've never read anything like. I went with Captain Callum Israel from The Massive, created by Brian Wood. Israel is an ex-military spec ops agent that turned environmentalist and now is a captain of the capital that's been sailing on a world where environmental catastrophe has changed the face of the planet. Beaches have flooded. Earthquakes have ravaged the United States. I mean, Yeah, it's like the most realistic post-apocalypse. It's really cool. It's an environmental post-apocalypse, and this is the story of what it is like to be a pacifist and environmentalist after the apocalypse. Captain Israel is one of the most interesting characters I've read in a long time. He's a killer that refuses to pick up a gun. I love him. Absolutely love him. My best new character of 2012. Let's move right along to best supporting character, Matt. You can't have a good hero without a good supporting cast. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> I mean, am I right? We're riffing here, folks. What's, what's Superman without Jimmy and Lois? I mean, what's Peter Parker without Mary Jane? Come on. Who is your favorite supporting character of 2012? My best supporting character is Joseph Oppenheimer from the Manhattan Projects, written by Jonathan Hickman for Image <laughs> Comics. You know that guy. <laughs> Joseph Oppenheimer is the evil twin brother of Robert Oppenheimer, who murdered him and ate him <laughs> to, yeah. to take his power and intelligence. He is a terrifying and brilliant character. I love what they're doing in this book. And maybe the most sane member of that Yeah, cast. and possibly the most sane <laughs> member of the group. Joe, what's your best supporting character? I changed my answer to this question about three times before I came over today. Uh, at first, I, I was giving it to uh, Isabel, the disembodied ghost babysitter from, oh, from saga. saga yeah with her guts uh, hanging out yeah with her guts hanging out of the bottom of her body i like that one but when it came right down to it and i really thought about my favorite books of the year i had no choice but to give this beppo to kate bishop who is essentially the co-star of matt fraction's hawkeye hawkeye's sidekick yeah also named hawkeye also named hawkeye <laughs> for now and i just love her role in this book uh you know, she's trying to, she's kind of keeping him grounded, and he is trying not to look at her in a uh, lascivious way because she's uh, a, still a young girl growing I really, up. I haven't really gone there with it. I was going to say, I think it's really interesting that a fraction find, like gave the character Hawkeye a sidekick because he's never had one. Well, she's not really, like, she doesn't, like, put on a costume and go on adventures. No, no, with no him, but she's but... still a sidekick. He's still kind of taking her under his wing. And it's grounding him and making him act like an adult. We're seeing the character grow through this. I think she's exactly. an excellent addition to the book. Yep. She's my vote for best supporting character. 
Every year, we see heroes come and go, and this year was no exception. There were some great deaths on the page in comics. Joe Patrick, who was your best death of 2012? We talked a lot about Avengers versus X-Men and how it was kind of up and down in quality, maybe a little too long, maybe a little silly in parts. But once it was all said and done, the death of Charles Xavier not only represented a real turn in that book like a like a turning point for the characters in that book but it has fueled the entire x-men line it's true it's propelling the plots of at least two no three different x-men titles yeah uncanny avengers all new x-men and the upcoming uncanny x-men relaunch with cyclops and magneto as the stars yeah and it's just it was the catalyst for so much, and I think it's taken the X-Books to a, a very interesting place. And so say what you will about the quality of the series where it happened, I think the death of Charles Xavier had a huge impact on a large part of the Marvel Universe. I, and I thought the death scene itself was really well handled, too. It also represented, you know, this this whole you know metaphor for fathers and sons and how the son has uh, you know kind of rose up and and now the and son becomes the father will dis- you know <laughs> kind of went against the father yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and betrayed him uh, man yeah it's some pathos there that was one of those key issues of the series that was really good i agree it ran too long it got a little lost in itself but that was a great moment it was also a moment that we all saw coming I think everybody predicted that that was going to happen but when it did happen it still had the weight that it needed I agree. Matt, who gets your Beppo for best death? My best death goes to Peter Parker in Amazing Spider-Man 700. For the second year in a row, Peter Parker the gets the golden se- Beppo for best death. Second year. Uh, I just read it last week while I was on vacation in Virginia for Christmas. And I got to say, it totally got me. It totally got me. It was really well done, even though he was dying in the body of Dr. Octopus. And I still haven't decided if Peter Parker's really dead, seeing as Doc Ock has his body and all his memories. (laughs) Right. You know? (laughs) But it it was so well handled and really well done. And just the fact that people are as up in arms about it as they are shows how big and important it is. And it really yeah. does. And I don't disagree. It was a must-read comic. It was tons of fun. I can't wait to see where they go next with it. We all know Peter will be back sooner or later. Let's not kid ourselves. There's more Spider-Man movies coming, so Peter's going to be around. But I thought it was excellent. I'm going with Peter Parker. And the only reason I didn't choose Peter is because it is literally, at the time of this recording, less than a week old. True. Uh, we just happened to get the books early because of our connection to Comic Shop. And time has yet to tell how it will play out right. in the new year. I'm just going with the moment itself. So, and I, But I don't disagree. It was a great moment in a great comic. Yeah. I mean, and he basically died saving Otto Octavius as well. Making, like, we'll see. showing him, this is who I am. This is who you could be. And, oh, oh, it was so good. <laughs> Touching stuff. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes. Are calling. Joe Patrick, you can't have a good comic From book hero Glenn without Glenn. a good villain. So which baddie did you choose for your best villain award for 2012? Well, we talked a lot about this before the recording. We talked about this at length, actually. And it was tough. This was not a great year for villains. Well, I would know, argue that a lot, of the, a lot of the year was spent with heroes slapping heroes around. <laughs> you make a good point, 
And that's why I gave my Golden Beppo to Cyclops. Wow. Best villain. Wow. A lot of people are pissed. A lot of people are saying... Not me. He's too crazy. In fact, not too long ago, I texted you after reading all new X-Men number three, I think. And I said, this book is so damn good. And you said in a text, but you got to admit, Cyclops is just too crazy. No, he's crazy. (laughs) He is crazy. But I think it's kind of interesting. I will give them props to sticking to their guns because it would make more sense that if Cyclops did go this nuts, that he stayed that nuts. Yeah. Not that like... He went nuts. They didn't immediately back down from it. Right. Freaked out, almost started World War III, and then went, I'm feeling much better now, folks. And I would actually argue, going back to the Best Death Award, I didn't see the death of Professor X coming, because I would have bet you money Cyclops was going to be the one to die. I think we all thought Cyclops was going to die. And for him to instead not die and not get a chance at redemption is very compelling to me. I know Kevin Coffey, THN Love Slave, disagrees, (laughs) but I just think it's really neat. How they are casting Cyclops in this new role, and it's just a really interesting place to take the X-Books. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know that he ultimately ends up a villain, but we'll see. Well, for now, though, you have to admit he was the villain of Avengers vs. X-Men. It's true. It's absolutely true. Matt, what about you? My best villain for 2012 is Dr. Octopus. Okay. If you look at what Dan Slott did with Amazing Spider-Man all year, Dr. Octopus, he was building, oh my god, he was building this death thing. And the body switch all damn year through the ends of the earth. Yeah. Through, I mean, like. It's true. It was all Doc Ock. And he was fantastic. Dan Slott did such a great job with the character. Building him to Spider-Man's ultimate nemesis. And then he becomes Spider-Man. Oh, my best villain for 2012 is Dr. Octopus. I was going to say the Red Skull. Because I love the Red Skull so much. And I loved loved when we saw xavier's brainless body on the table and the red skull revealed that he had sewn like part of his brain into his own head like oh so gross and creepy and evil and next year the red skull might be it but this year dr octopus fair enough and what's a good villain without a great hero matt bomb who is your best hero of 2012 this one was tough this one was really tough for me part of me wanted to say thor i loved matt fraction's thor so much Part of me wanted to say Hawkeye because Hawkeye has been so good. Again, Matt Fraction. But ultimately, I'm giving it to the same person I gave it to last year, Daredevil. I'm saying Mark Wade's Daredevil has been so solid. Daredevil is my hero of the year. And he did it without being part of any major crossovers, without having any major moments. I mean, he's really just kind of appearing in his own book, doing his own thing. Yeah, I mean, there was that little crossover with Spider-Man and Punisher. Briefly, uh... but... That didn't turn out so well. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I, I didn't want to give it to Daredevil again, though I do love that book. I love it to pieces. Uh, but for me, I had no choice but to award it to Hawkeye. Not only did he have an amazing showing in the Avengers movie, yeah, kind of introducing himself to the millions of people that don't read comics, right? but he had what is what I'm calling the new Daredevil at Marvel. He's the star Definitely. of what... I am saying right now is Marvel's best comic. Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David Aja is an amazing book. I don't think that's a stretch. Yeah, I don't think that's a stretch. And this, and it is all about his adventures outside of the Avengers. He doesn't put out a, he doesn't put on a costume. No. He's just on his own, doing his own thing, being the hero he knows how to be. And just perfectly written. And. Perfectly written. I have loved every single issue of that book. And it is, in my mind, what Daredevil was 
at the end of 2011. Now I admit I can't hear Jeremy Renner as the voice of Hawkeye in the Hawkeye book. For some reason, I can only hear Brad Pitt because <laughs> he's like so kind of loose and cool. That's you know? fair enough. <laughs> he's the Matthew McConaughey of superheroes. Yeah, cut. no, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> he's not stoned all the time and naked. All right, Although all he right, did spend right. some time naked in the, in his issue. <laughs> we'll in, talk about that later. <laughs> This category was one we had some trouble with. Every year, there's a big hero death, and that means, of course, there's big hero returns. We decided this year the best return should not just include a hero that came back from the dead, but perhaps series that returned from cancellation or were reinvented. Obscurity. Obscurity, if you will. Joe Patrick, what was your best return this year? And my problem with the best return is that for as important as the deaths are, it seems like in the last couple of years, we haven't had any really nice, honest-to-God, powerful resurrection stories, you know, where I it's suppose, like, yeah. so-and-so is back and he's been dead, like the return of Captain America or yeah. you know, anything like that. And so I tried to look at it f- through that lens to see, was there a series I really loved that came back from the brink of, of death or that uh, r- returned after years of inactivity? But at the end of the day, I still had to give it to a character. I'm giving my best return, Beppo, to the Joker and his return in the pages of Batman number 13. He's That's been fair. gone for over That's a fair. year. Yeah. And he came back in one of the most chilling stories I have ever read. That's definitely been a good return. Absolutely. And we all and they built it up. We knew it was coming. It wasn't a surprise. And still, when he showed up, we all went, ooh, Yes. Gross. And that speaks <laughs> a lot to the strength of Scott Snyder, the writer. Yeah. It was excellent. Like you said, we all knew the Joker was coming back. They pimped it for months and months and months and then when it actually hit it was better than we ever could have anticipated i think so i think you're right and i think that's the only way that they can do stuff like this anymore because with the internet and twitter and whatnot everybody knowing stuff is going to happen before it happens look what happened with spider-man 700 i mean yeah we tried our best to avoid spoiling it for people but the majority of the internet knew what was going to happen well in advance i stayed away from all the spoilers didn't know good for you buddy i did it i did it who gets your Beppo for best return? My best return actually goes to a publisher, and I'm giving it to Valiant Comics, and specifically Archer and Armstrong by Fred Van Lenty. Valiant Comics came back this year so strong. There is not a single book in that line that I'm not reading and enjoying. It I agree. Fantastic. But specifically, Archer and Armstrong. That book is wonderful. The art is excellent every month. The story is hilarious. It's poignant. It's fun. I cannot get enough of that book. That said, I love XO Man of War. I love Harbinger. I love Hardbringer. Hardbringer. <laughs> I, I even like the new Shadow Man quite a bit. I think Valiant is Bloodshot. just... Bloodshot. I love Bloodshot. Bloodshot is fantastic. By Dwayne Swarzynski. Yeah. They're just killing it. They're doing a great job, and they are my best return of 2012. That's a good one. Here we go. Good answer. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Next, we move into the best title awards highlighting our favorite comic series of the year starting with this year's best new series now this is a series specifically that started its publication run in 2012 matt bomb and not a mini series not a mini an se- ongoing series matt bomb what is your best new series of 2012 the knee-jerk reaction here is saga that's a knee-jerk reaction i'm not gonna do <clears> it <throat> i really like saga i enjoy the hell out of it Honestly, in my opinion, I do not think that there was a better new read on the stands than Brian Woods' The Massive. I adore that book, and it is amazing. The world that Brian Wood has built in this book is one that's 
probably not too far away if we continue along our industrial ways, but I'm not going to get into all that. It is so perfectly <laughs> illustrated. Late. The characters are wonderfully fleshed out. It, it's got this like environmentalist A-team kind of feel to it. And every time we meet another character, they're so interesting or so terrifying. It's just a wonderful book. It gets my best new series of the year. And unfortunately, not enough people are reading it. Joe Patrick, what's your best new series? I'm giving best new series to Saga, and it's not a knee-jerk reaction. I actually gave it some thought. Fair enough. The reason... And I'm not, I'm not saying that, whoa, cop out. I'm not saying that no, at no, all. No, 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 I know. That was my first thought, too, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought every time I read an issue of The Massive, I set it down and just went, wow, this is good. The <laughs> reason know? I gave it to Saga over any other book as best new series, it's because... Brian K. Vaughn is probably the only writer in comics that can wake up dormant corners of the comic readership. Oh, yeah. Just by mere mention of his name. No, it's true. It's true. That book, and a lot of people have written about this. Uh, Brian Wood was one of them. And he wasn't like talking smack about Brian K. Vaughn, but he was saying, like, it's just kind of bizarre that a guy like him can come back and ignite the independent comic world with characters that nobody's ever heard of. Yes. A story that is so whacked out that you Except can't believe it's not. It's even and that's in print. the thing. And we'll talk about this a little. Well, no, we'll talk about it right now. You said that you thought the massive was more relatable, and I disagree. I'm just realistic. I guess. Saga is a love story about people that shouldn't be in love. And right. What's more relatable than that? No, I'll give you that. It's Romeo and, and it Juliet. It just so story. happens to take place inside of a wooden spaceship. It's Romeo and Juliet in space. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And. Brian K. Vaughn brings people back to the comics world that have not read a comic since the last Brian K. Vaughn comic. Yeah, it's true. Got canceled. It's true, and it's amazing. And like you said, and like Brian Wood said, nobody can reignite the passion of comic fans like Brian Vaughn just at the mention of his name and from the first issue out of the gate. Yeah. That book has burned up the charts and not for reasons of hype. It's also... no. High it's quality. A, it's a critical success and a sales success, which you don't run into a whole lot. And I mean, really. As far as a new series, it started off 2012 with a huge bang. And when that book is not on the stands, it is missed. Yeah, definitely. It's not like... People come in going, it's not out yet? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's not like... What the hell? It's not like it, Walking Dead's running a little late. Right. You know, it is, where's Saga? When's the next Saga? Yeah. There aren't complaints that it's late. There's yearning for the next. Right. And that's the mark of a great series in Fair my enough. mind. I just went with the book that touched me the most, I guess. Where did it touch you? Show me on the doll. All over the place. <laughs> Saga is an excellent example of a book that sold very well this year. Unfortunately, there's plenty of other great books that don't sell quite as well. So now we're going to talk about the best series that you're not reading. Joe Patrick, if there was one book that everybody should be picking up this year, what would it go to? You know, I struggled with this one a lot. I, I don't really have my finger on the pulse of the sales charts like you do with your uh, Worth Point article. But all I can talk about is what books I love and the books I want to get in the most hands. And sure. for me, the best book that I think more people should be aware of is Lock and Key. That's an excellent choice. From IDW. It is on its final storyline of, of, well, how should I say this? The current storyline is ending. Uh, but there will be more lock and key to come, and it's all in collected form. 
So anytime is a good time to jump onto Lock and Key. It is such a wonderful, scary, funny, touching, beautifully drawn uh, story about this family and their connection to a, a a batch of magical keys and the demonic entity that wants to use them for evil. And it is just a very compelling book. And I can't stress enough how much everyone should be reading it. I don't care if you haven't read it at all. I don't care if they're on the third issue of the final volume. All the books are in print. Yeah, there's an amazing hardcover collection of each of them, too. Grab the number one. Grab the volume one off the shelf at your local comic shop. Find it digitally if you can. Read this book. However you choose to do it, you should all be reading Lock and Key. I think people might get turned off because they hear that it's written by the son of Stephen King and not everyone is a Stephen King fan or whatever. How would that be a turnoff? I don't know, (laughs) because people are fickle. I guess. But Joe Hill, the writer, is has crafted such a compelling world and his partner, his artistic partner, Gabriel Rodriguez, have fully formed and fleshed out this world and every issue adds another piece to the puzzle and it is just phenomenal. Lock and Key gets my Beppo for Best series you're not reading. Matt Bomb. what do you got? My best series you're not reading is Terry Moore's Rachel Rising. I think we gave that award to them last year. Uh, Maybe we did. Yeah. Still applies. Still applies because it is not selling well at all. And it is an amazing book. And Terry Moore went so far as come out and say that he might have to publish it digitally only because the sales have been so low, which is just terrible because it is an amazing story. Rachel Rising is a story of Rachel who was murdered and finds herself coming back from the dead. It's not your typical horror story. This is not a gore fest. Rachel Rising is psychological horror at its best. I absolutely love this book. It's super creepy. You should all be reading it. It's one of the things that's hardest to do in any comic book horror story is to give that creepy feeling, that eerie feeling, to supply that because you can just turn the pages and see what's coming. I would argue, outside of Mike Mignola maybe, Nobody is doing it like Terry Moore right now. He's a master storyteller. He really is. That is is for sure. It's a wonderful book. It It gets my golden Beppo for the book that you should be reading. Not every title is created equal. We have talked a lot about some books we wish were better. And sometimes, when we're lucky, things actually improve. This year, we are giving... A Golden Beppo for the most improved. Now, this can apply to a book, to a writer, to an artist, whatever. To a character, whatever you think. Yeah. Who had a, whoever had a, who had a bad year before but a good year now, it applies. Sure. So, Matt Bomb, what book, series, or what have you gets your Golden Beppo for most improved? My most improved Golden <clears throat> Beppo goes to Conan the Barbarian by Brian Wood. This is not to say that I didn't like the old Conan series that were coming out from Dark Horse. I liked a lot of them. But Brian Wood has taken a character... Kind that, of elevated to a whole new level. Really. Has taken a character that I think a lot of people just thought would only enjoy cult status for the rest of his existence, really, mm. and made it infinitely relatable and human and wonderful to read. It's been a love story starring Conan the Barbarian for 10 issues, and I cannot put it down. Not to mention the fact that he's working with some of the best damn artists in the business. I missed his Northlanders, and I'm thrilled to see him writing Conan now. It's a similar feel, only I don't feel like I got kicked in the stomach at the end of every every issue. (laughs) Sure, Joe Patrick, who gets your Golden Beppo for Most Improved? We talked about this book when 
the new 52 launched in 2011, and we never talked about it again. Really? For the entire year since. Where are you going with this? Until now, with a new writer and a new artist on board, and it has been like a sea change for this book. It has become fun and compelling, and it actually lives up to its title. My Golden Beppo for Most Improved goes to Detective Comics. Okay. By John Lehman. All right. That's and a, Jason Faber. That's a great choice. That's a really good choice. They took a book that I literally could not care about. Yeah. Th- something that I thought was only being published because of its history. And its name. And its name. Basically. And they have revitalized it in three or four short issues. Yeah. John Lehman has breathed new life into this book. Batman is actually being a detective. It's a lot of fun. It's got great art, and I love it. I look forward to it every month. And props to DC for grabbing a guy like Jonathan Lehman, who is not the most obvious of choices to write this book. That's gutsy. It's a gutsy call. It's absolutely true. I mean, like, I love Chew. He does a great job in that book, but it's nothing like Batman. No, absolutely. (laughs) And really, you you take a guy not known for superhero books, and you put him on your, arguably, number one superhero, right? and he's knocking it out of the park. Fair great, that's a it's a great book. Just as the tide comes in and out daily with the passing of the moon, we know that every <laughs> like summer, like sands through the hourglass, <laughs> every summer your favorite heroes will be gathered together to fight a common enemy in the best crossover or event comic book of the year. Joe Patrick, who gets your golden beppo for the best crossover slash event comic? of the year though we did have some critical things to say about it overall i think we enjoyed it and so my golden bevel for best crossover slash event has to go to avengers versus x-men i'm gonna spoil this i'm with you i'm with you as well and if for no other reason that the direction the marvel universe is moving in after all is said and done is so cool yes it's so damn cool i'm so happy with where they're at so say what you will about it being too long or not believing that Cyclops would do this or predictable or whatever. The way it steered the Marvel Universe is, was so masterfully done and done by some of the best guys working and writing, writing and drawing at Marvel. Yes. Setting up their new titles and their new books. I, I mean, they nailed it. There they are, absolutely nailed it. There are a lot of cynics out there that will say, you know, that event books only offer the promise you know the illusion of exi- of lasting change right or you know anything that happens in an event book is quickly overturned or undone Erased. or whatever but there is a new status but quo i really feel like you know call me naive but i really feel like avengers versus x-men though it did have its flaws set the stage uh, like like crisis did in the 80s uh like so many other like some other books have done uh civil war did it like these were status quo changes that lasted many years. Yeah, House yeah. of M. You know, and I think the the real uh, star is Marvel in this regard because they are actually doing these stories. Yeah, that propel their future books. They don't just say, you know, and then this event happened and so and so died, and then in two years he's back. Right. These books actually change the face of the Marvel universe. Yeah, there is a new status quo due to what happened in Avengers versus X Men. Whether you like it or not, the status quo changed. Yes, and say what you will about books like Civil War or whatever. You know, how long did the specter of Civil War affect the Marvel universe? We're talking like five years. Yeah, really. And so I think Avengers versus X Men 
has the potential to be that kind of lasting change. And I think as event series go, that's that's how you define an event. Ultimately, that's all you can ask for. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I'd love it to be perfect as well. And it wasn't perfect. We agree on that. But no book is. But I think right. more often than not, it not only was the main series a decent, uh, most of the tie-ins were exceptional. I would argue the tie-ins were better than the main series. And how many crossover events do we talk about that have completely mediocre tie-ins that are just a cash grab most of them but this one had tie-ins that were actually fun to read yeah and contributed to the main story definitely dealt and, with the main series and dealt with where the character is now after this and that is the mark of a good event and it's really all you can ask for. certainly a well-organized one Not all comic book series are made to last forever and ever. In fact, some get their idea across in just four issues, and that is why we're going to talk about the best miniseries of 2012. Joe Patrick, who does your Golden Beppo Award go to for best miniseries? I don't think either of our I don't think either of our picks for this are only four issues long. Well, I'm just saying that's just a number I threw out. It's sometimes true. they're eight, sometimes they're six. It's true. My pick happens to be 12 issues. I had no choice but to give the Golden Bevel for best miniseries to The Shade from DC Comics Great by place. James Robinson and a host of amazing artists, Gene Ha, Darwin Cook, Jill Thompson, Fraser Irving, Javier Polito, Javier Polito, on and on and on. Uh, Coley Hamner. Yeah. I mean, a wonderful array of artists tying in and calling back to my favorite comic book series of all time, Starman, for DC to take a chance on this book and see it through to conclusion actually gave me a lot of hope for the New 52, even though by the end of it, it became clear the Shade miniseries has no place in New 52 continuity. No, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with just leaving it separate, saying it's part of the old DC. I'm going to put it on the shelf next to my Starman omnibus books and call it good. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think as, that's how you should view it. Yes. And so as a series, as a limited series, it was a wonderful run from start to finish. It gave us the origin of the Shade filled in some unknown history and it really showed us that james robinson is still a writer that is to be respected and appreciated despite his uh rocky tenure at dc a couple of years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> matt bomb what is your best miniseries of 2012 my best miniseries goes to sean murphy's punk rock jesus coming out from dc vertigo we are just short of the finale. I think number next six, week. Number six comes out next week. This book has been one of the most original, interesting, biting, cynical, and wonderful miniseries I've read in a long time. Not to mention the fact it's black and white. So mm. Sean Murphy is not hiding behind anything. He's doing this whole thing himself, and it's absolutely gorgeous. This is the story of the clone of Jesus Christ on a reality TV show and how the world deals with his presence not just that though it goes way beyond that to honestly my favorite part of this story so far and i don't want to spoil anything for you but has been his interactions with his mother the woman who carried him who for the virgin birth if you will quote unquote (laughs) this series is incredible and it's so well executed and completely poignant to our entertainment culture of today I can't say enough about it. It gets my best miniseries for 2012. Sometimes one hero just ain't enough, and you need to have a team to band together and save the day during our darkest hour. 
This next Golden Bevel goes to the best team book of 2012, Matt Bomb. What do you got for us? I'm going with the same team book I picked last year because the quality was so amazingly high. I'm giving this to Uncanny X-Force. I got a little lost in the storyline that took place in... uh. What, what's the magic world where Captain Britain's from? Otherworld? Otherworld? Was that? Yeah, Otherworld. But it ended really, really well and led into the final execution story, which was just incredible. The, and not to mention, drawn by some of the best artists working today between Jerome Pena and Phil Noto. That uh, Tedesco guy? Oh, yeah. That newcomer... Mm. Tedesco. Juan, Juan Totino Tedesco. Yeah, Juan something. Totino is a name of a party pizza. I don't know if that's it. It's just an amazing book. It is by far the best thing Rick Remender has ever written, and in my opinion, the best X title that was out on the stands this year. Mine goes to Uncanny X-Force. Joe Patrick, what is your best team book? Mine came as kind of a surprise to me. I've enjoyed this uh, group in the past. It was always fun to see them show up. But it wasn't until their ongoing series launched recently from Image that I really just took notice and started to enjoy this cast of characters and the stories that were being told with them. My best team book goes to Guarding the Globe from Image Comics by Phil Hester and Todd Nock. Phil and uh, Todd Nock have taken this group and really done something great with them. I look forward to that series every time it comes out. And props to Phil Hester. I don't want to take anything away from his work anywhere else, but I'm excited to see him on a book that's getting this much attention paid to it. It's true. Not only is he a great artist, really talented writer. Absolutely. I love Phil Hester. Uh, he's a very special man. <laughs> he is a very we special have a, man. We have a deep... We have a special relationship. Long, lengthy connection. <laughs> um but I just couldn't get interested in when he was writing The Darkness. I'm just, I don't care about that character. I'm sorry. Uh, but when he started writing Guarding the Globe, I was so happy to see him back on a book that I could really sink my teeth into and enjoy. And it has been a great ride. And Todd Nock, I've always been a fan ever since he drew uh, Peter David's Young Justice for DC. And he created Wild Guard, that uh, superhero reality show book for image oh yeah which was, was a ton of it fun it was fun yeah that was a lot of fun and these guys are knocking it out of the park on guarding the globe i really enjoy it even if you're not an invincible fan uh you should check this book out it is a lot of fun and the characters are really different and interesting you know it's not just superman analog batman analog there's a lot of really fun unique characters absolutely like the blind hong kong action hero uh, ghost cop that's on the on the team and and tiny robot tiny Japanese robot girl and, yeah uh, it's a a ton of fun. Not every comic book out there is about a superhero. Some of them take place in the age old genres of sci fi, fantasy, and horror. And so our next awards go to the best books in those genres, starting with Joe Patrick's best sci fi series of 2012. I had a tough time with this one, not because. It was hard to choose, but it was hard for me to decide what genre this book fits into. Fair enough. Uh, my award, though, for best sci-fi series goes to Saga okay. by Brian K. Vaughn it's, it's and Fiona Staples. Book. It is a sci-fi it book. It just has so many elements from so many different genres. There's definitely, definitely a fantasy element at play, but I think at its heart it is a sci-fi book. Fair enough. And it is heads and shoulders above the other uh, genre books in its, in its field. It is a great story with great art, and the ideas, you know, the things that 
propel it are so imaginative and they seem secondary like we talked about oh no definitely the love story is definitely we, the star of this book we talked about the relatability of it and the fact that it takes place on a spaceship made out of a tree and stars alien races is and completely beyond the <laughs> it's beside the point yeah and it's just so full of huge ideas like prince robot who has a tv head and the they're currently on the planet of terrifying uh testicular giants <laughs> i don't know how else to put it but it's just so full of huge ideas like every great sci-fi story i think saga knocks it out of the park map bomb what do you think you know what i didn't give it to saga and i'll tell you why the more i thought about it the more i thought this is a good sci-fi story but it could also be a fantasy story whatever and maybe i'm just more of a purist but i'm going pure sci-fi and i'm going to award it to an entire line not just a book I'm saying, whoa, you're I, cheating. I, maybe you're changing the rules. I'm saying IDW deserves it for their work on Star Trek. And I don't just mean the new Star Trek that's being written in the current Star Trek movie universe. I mean the next generation. I mean the weird Doctor Who crossover. They did such, they have reinvented Star Trek and made it absolutely readable. It is not the dusty, nerdy, highbrow, like, zero-action book that it used to be. They have recreated and rebranded Star Trek and done a wonderful job with it. This is where I go to get my next-generation fill. I love the omnibus that they put out. Star Trek from IDW is my best sci-fi property series, whatever you want to call it. They're killing it. Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. I don't think it's a cheater to say the whole thing. Boom. You guys are nailing it. This is what you get with the Golden Beppos, folks. <laughs> Moving goalposts. That's right. Moving on to best fantasy series. This is something, this would be a genre that Joe Patrick constantly says he doesn't enjoy. And then when he reviews a fantasy book, he bounces up and down and giggles about how excellent it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, it's true. Joe Patrick, what is your best fantasy series for 2012? Well, see, you say that, and then when it came time for me to pick my. Uh, to give my Beppo for best fantasy series, I could not think of any other fantasy books I read you, other than Pathfinder from Dynamite Entertainment. You're not reading Skull Kickers? I don't read Skull Kickers. It's really good. I'm it's sure not it, my best, but it's really good. I'm sure it is. Sorry, you're not good enough. <laughs> my Golden Beppo goes to Pathfinder, not because, like, if I really sat down and, and thought about it, I could come up with some other things that fit into the fantasy genre that we read this year, but Pathfinder is the book that actually I had fun reading. It was it was really good. They did an excellent job of this book that they should have been doing with Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I wish I wish the main D&D book from IDW was this fun. And Dynamite, which is a company we criticize more often than not, has come up with something really fun here. Yeah. Now this is written by the guy that writes Skull Kickers, which is a good sign that I will also enjoy that book. Yeah, he's a nice fit. But it's a fun time. The characters are well-fleshed-out archetypes for well-known um, role-playing, you know, staples. Sure. You know, there's the the warrior and the mage and the druid, right. you know, all that fun stuff. But when I finished Pathfinder 1 and 2, I just was having such a fun time with it that I had to give it my best fantasy, Golden Beppo for 2012, Map Bomb. I'm sure you've got something better. I'm not going to beat a dead horse on this one because I've already talked about it quite a bit, but my best fantasy series goes to Conan the Barbarian. Brian Wood, killing it on this one. Art is absolutely perfect. Sword and sorcery at its best. I love it. I love it. I love it. Enough with this fairy crap. 
Let's get down into the muck, into the terrible dark corners of the comic <laughs> universe. I am a big, fat, scaredy baby, but I love me some good horror comics. Matt Bomb, what comic gets your Golden Beppo for best horror series? Again, I'm going with the whole line here because there was too much to mention in one year, but BPRD. Well, BPRD really is one title. I suppose it is, but there's several different series all going on at the same time. And when I say BPRD, I'm including. The Abe Sapien crossovers. I'm including everything. BPRD has carved out a horror universe that we've never seen in comics before. It is, I, I guess you could call it superhero horror. It spins out of hell. It spins out of Hellboy. Yeah, you have a crew of humans and monsters working together. They, this book is just amazing, and it's amazing every month, every month, in every series. I don't remember the last time I read a BPRD series and went, ah. That was fine, I guess. I, you're right. Every I don't single think you're one wrong. Of them, these are the best horror comics I've ever read. Joe Patrick, who gets your Golden Beppo for best horror? I'm giving mine to a series. My Little Pony. Friendship is golden. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> when the zombie pony showed up, I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I'm giving my Golden Beppo to a series that changed my mind about a creator I thought I was already certain about. I'm giving it to Tim Seeley and Mike Norton's Revival. It's a good one. I have not been a Tim Seeley fan. I've been very critical of his work in the past. But this book came out and kind of made me look at him in a different light. I still don't read Hackslash. But... Uh, this is just a really compelling story with a unique hook. It's about a small town in Minnesota, right? Minnesota, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's Minnesota. Where, or Wisconsin. Yeah. In the, in the American North. Upper, mid, northern, mid or north. Midwest. Yeah, northern Midwest. <laughs> where for one day only, the recently deceased rose from the grave and returned to their lives as normal. And now the town is under quarantine, and uh, people don't know how to react, and the people that were dead are starting to act kind of weird. Yeah. And it is so It is a really good fun, book. And it's a really interesting idea, too. And I, and I don't know where it's going, and I, I, that's what I love most about uh, you know, the horror genre, is not being able to see it coming. And in a genre that is stuffed full of zombie books, this is a really cool take on people returning from the dead right it's not fair to call it a zombie book it's, it's not it's at all. not that it's but not at all they take that concept and did something really fun with it my golden beppo for best horror goes to revival heroes and villains are one thing but i would argue you cannot have a good comic without a good story arc joe patrick who gets the golden beppo for your best story arc this year well we talked a lot a little bit earlier about what defines an event or a crossover and i chose not to classify night of the owls as an event book as an event story for the sole reason because the tie-in books didn't really do it for me well and yeah i would argue you didn't need to read any of that if you just read batman it's true you got it it yeah. was all there and i thought that as a story arc Solely contained in the main Batman series, Night of the Owls was amazing. Yeah. A wonderfully compelling story. It, it was excellent. And introduced a new Bat villain or group of Bat villains, which is really hard to do in this day and age. Well, I mean, this, this whole the whole year from the point of the relaunch, the year of, whole year and then some was about... Yeah, even before that. Batman's uh, fight with the Court of Owls. And we talked a lot about that in our last... Golden Beppo Award show. 
but Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo just kept the ball rolling. And like a snowball rolling downhill, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and more terrifying as it went. Yeah. And the Night of the Owl story within the pages of Batman was one of my favorite reads of the year. Uh, it, it is the storyline that almost broke Batman and saw him ultimately come out on top. Or is he? Uh-oh. You know? Uh-oh. And like any good story, you're left with uh, some lingering doubt, like whether or not the villain has truly been vanquished. And I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful, compelling addition to the Batman mythos. Fair enough. Matt Bomb, what story gets your Golden Bebo for best story arc of the year? I, I had trouble with this one, too, because there was a lot of really good stuff that happened this year. And ultimately, I had to go with one that I didn't think was as bombastic or maybe as epic as some of the other big storylines took place. But the one that just made me feel the best after I read it. And when I say feel the best, I mean, there were issues of this storyline that I had goosebumps. I had tears in my eyes. I'm going with Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four forever. That is a great choice. And that ran through Fantastic Four and FF, and it was just wonderful. I mean, he revitalized the first family, took this adorable cast of brainy children, and made that book readable. I thought there was no way we would enjoy the FF book. But he made he tied it in to the regular book so well. And there were some thing moments. I love tear-jerking thing moments. And there were some big... <laughs> Tear jerking thing moments in this one, man. I loved Forever. It your was just, thing, your thing's a real tear jerker. It may have been. That's disgusting. It may have been. I'm about to say something really heartwarming too. It may have been the best Fantastic Four story I've ever read. It was good. It was no just doubt about amazing. it. Amazing. Now it's time to recognize the publishers that brought us these amazing comics, starting with the age-old question, Marvel or DC? Joe, of the big two, who wins this year? Uh, Well, hands down, it's got to be Marvel. I'm with you. It's Marvel. And I realize it's probably predictable. We've kicked DC around all year. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the show throughout the year, you know that we've been very critical of what DC has done. Outside of a few high points. Yeah, uh, yeah, they they do have high points, but... So many missed opportunities at DC, so many what seem like misguided attempts to to drive up popularity of books and, and to... Yeah, really weird hiring, really weird firing. Uh, I mean, it just some baffling decisions that I'm sure somebody way above our pay grade can explain to us, mm-hmm. but from the perspective of a fan, the, a lot of the stuff coming out from DC just looks like nonsense right now. And Marvel, on the other hand, while they are not perfect, as we've discussed... Overall, I feel like they have their act together. Yeah, they are, they are lockstep in marching order right now. and But they're not doing it with an iron fist either. You can tell no. the creators that are working on this book are writing the stories they want to write. They're happy about what they're writing. And they enjoy what's going on just as much as we do. Yes, and while it's cynical to say that you know cash is king and that it's all dictated by sales... I think that more so than at DC, Marvel is really going forth with a story-first mindset. Right, a quality, mindset. not even a story-first, a quality-first mindset. And I think they're taking the point of view that like, if the quality's there, then people will buy the damn books. Right. And it's working. Yes, and you know, their, their writers work together. 
they go on retreats and plan out years in advance together. They know what's happening. It's not. It's <laughs> not like the old, you know, illusion of the of the sixties and seventies Marvel bullpen, which was all a lie anyway. Right. But it's close. Stanley was sleeping with all their wives. <laughs> it's close, and I think it's the closest thing we can really get in an industry where all of the creators are spread out all over the world. Right. Is that they are actually working together for the benefit of the larger Marvel Universe, whereas it seems like at DC, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. I agree. And It's sad. It's really sad. And while DC, we had a lot of good things to say about DC we, last year. We gave them the award last when year. When the relaunch was new. We gave them the award based on their balls alone. Yes. Marvel, I think, is going to be able to have their cake and eat it too by offering us a relaunch. Yeah. That is very compelling. That has improved every book across the board almost and that doesn't insult guys like you and me who've been reading this stuff for years and does not flush their continuity down the toilet yeah absolutely right and so i think i speak for matt as well our golden beppo for best publisher at least among the big two goes to marvel boundless comics comics. (laughs) (laughs) what they've done with lady death oh i just don't even know where to start stop it Be nice. (laughs) Moving right along to the little guys. Let's talk about the best indie publisher of 2012. And I think we're both in agreement here, too. Well. I think there's a clear choice. We'll see. And before we we get into it, a lot of people last year after we made, uh, after we picked, I believe Image was our best. Yeah. Image was our best last year. A lot of people said, is Image even an indie? And they asked again a few weeks ago when we posted the question of the week, what's your favorite indie book of all time? Right. And Matt and I actually debated this. At length. At length before recording, as we did with many of these awards. I personally think that Image and Dark Horse deserve to be counted, uh, deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as Marvel and DC. While it's true that they are technically indie books... Everything from Image is technically an indie book. Dark Horse is more licensed property than not. That's true. And But, I mean, so is IDW. They're such an enormous part of the market, even more so than IDW and Boom, and they've been around for literally now decades. It's true, but that just, I would argue, that makes them one of the most successful indie publishers out there. But my point of view is that at some point... We're not some going into this. <laughs> point, they, this is where I'm going to wrap it up, so calm down. Okay. Uh, my, my ultimate point is that at some point, they transcended indie status i understand what you're saying and uh but that said it's hard not to give it to image comics i have to give it to him as a publisher that just continuously nails it and knocks it out of the park with book after book after book thief of thieves walking dead a saga Fatal. I mean, like, all of the... The list goes on and on and on. And it seems like there's another one every month. Danger Club is one that we talked about and loved. Danger Club. And forgot. There, There's just an amazing list of stuff coming out from Image Comics. And things that I haven't come out yet that have been announced, but uh, Witch still Doctor. have yet to come down another the I mean, the, Bedlam. Happy. Yeah. It's just amazing Nowhere stuff. Men. And I count them as... They're absolutely an independent... Absolutely an independent publisher because these guys that are putting these books out are doing it with their own money. Image is helping them get it out there because they have connections to do that. But these guys, they front the money and they only get paid on the back end. I don't know what's a better definition of independent comics than that. That said, there's plenty of indie comics that I don't read that should be recognized. I wanted to give best indie (laughs) publisher to Archie Comics. It's true, he did. But he changed his mind. I didn't change my mind. You forced me not to mention (laughs) Image in the first award. (laughs) 
Well, honorable mention to Archie. Uh, my Why? honorable mention goes to Archie because in the last uh, few years, uh, and a lot this year specifically, Archie has kind of transformed into this... I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't read the books, but... They've transformed into this place of inclusiveness and tolerance, and they they are putting out books f- literally for everybody. Yeah, and they're attacking subjects that a lot of comics are not attacking. Exactly right. Now I a just, lot of uh, right wing uh, talking heads would say that it's programming for our children, but yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's liberal programming for and, us. their soft little skulls. <laughs> it's just what Obama wants. I just think you know how many times has Archie been in the news lately? Uh, they're, Archie's getting married. Certainly, they're Kevin P- Keller their is getting gay married. Is killing it. George Takei is guest starring. <laughs> yeah. Archie's meeting Kiss. Like they're putting out these fun books that, while I don't read them, just make people go, "Oh, weird." That's and kind CNN of fun and interesting. Is reporting on them. USA Today is reporting on them. It's like it's like front page entertainment section news. Yeah, when that's was, amazing. When when was the last time? Any news outlet mentioned Image Comics outside of Walking Dead or Side. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, honorable mention. Good job, Archie. There you go. (laughs) Next, we move on to the nuts and bolts of the comic industry, the creators themselves, without whom we'd have nothing to read on the toilet. Our first... (laughs) It's true. It's true. Our first creator award is for Best Colorist. Matt, take it away. I think colorist is an extremely underappreciated job in comics, but ultimately when it comes down to it, most of the artists that we love, we love because a colorist is making them look good. Mm. I mean, really. And at the end of the day, I have to say, and the same guy I gave it to last year, but nobody does it better. I'm going with Dave Stewart. If you look at the list of stuff that this guy colors, and this is just a short list, not even a long list of what he's a monster. He's coloring like five or six books a month, every month, but Batwoman, Conan, BPRD, Fatal, The Massive, The Shade miniseries that Joe Patrick gushed about for 12 months in a row. Nobody colors a book like this, really. And he can he is a chameleon, an absolute chameleon. He can make every book look different. He makes Fatal look like an old noir crime movie. He makes Batwoman look like a psychedelic LSD dream. He makes Conan look like a perfect Lord of the Rings fantasy adventure. You know, I mean... The guy is just incredible. I don't think anybody's working on this level. My award goes to Dave Stewart. Joe Patrick, who is your best colorist? I actually started to write down Dave Stewart's name before I remembered something different. Uh, Somebody who I've talked about before, but who doesn't get a lot of attention, and he should. Somebody who takes a book and actually makes it gives it a unique visual style. I don't just mean gives it a pretty color palette. And makes the art look better. I Who? Mean, he makes the art. <laughs> he contributes to the art in a way that I think a lot of colors don't. And that is that man is Matt Hollingsworth, the colorist for Hawkeye. Okay. Uh, it's not very flashy. No. It's not full of Photoshop tricks. It's just really great color application. Creative. Really creative. And it, he takes a book... And like I said, contributes to the art. It's it's an art form in its own right, in my opinion. And he is doing a great job making David Aja, or making Hawkeye look like it does. And it's not just David Aja at work here. Matt Hollingsworth gets my golden bevel for best colorist. That's an excellent choice. 
ballsy one too i know thank you it's been said you can't judge a book by its cover but i do it every damn wednesday and that's why we're gonna talk about the best cover artist of 2012 joe patrick who was your pick well we've already talked about him a lot this episode my favorite cover artist of the year is david aja for his work on hawkeye among other things certainly stands out it gives that book a look that you don't see on any other cover it's a unique combination of art and graphic design, and I think that they look different than any other book on the stands. They stand out from the usual sea of guys in tights. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, monster fights or whatever is going on on the cover in any given Wednesday. And then you get to the Hawkeye cover, and it is such a unique, minimalist, yeah. you know, stark looking. Like iconic looking. Yes. And beautiful, beautiful, beautiful covers. My favorite cover artist of the year is David Aja. Matt, what about you? I'm going with Paolo Rivera. Oh, man. Most notably, his recent all-new X-Men variants featuring the old-school X-Men <laughs> yeah. fighting the new version of the X-Men. They're so amazing. And, uh, the only reason I didn't go with Rivera is because I gave it to him last year. Fair enough. I think I may have given it to him last Those year, Those Daredevil too. covers. But yeah, that's where I was going next. His Daredevil covers Those are woodcut. unstoppable. Those They're woodcut so Mole Man issue covers. Oh. Every month. And the guy, he's another one of those guys that can do three or four covers a month and they're all just unbelievable and unique yeah absolutely unique definitely he's got a point of view that draws you in that pulls your eye to that comic that makes you look at it for a while and go i should probably check this out i absolutely agree and that is a great 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 choice it's easy enough to just write a comic or just draw a comic anybody can do that paint a nice cover but who's got the balls to do it all themselves not too many anymore this next golden beppo goes to the best writer slash artist matt bomb who's your pick again i'm not going to beat a dead horse here because i've mentioned him a couple times so i'm going with terry moore from rachel rising not only wonderful does he write and draw that book he runs abstract studios his comic publisher as well it's the only book that comes out from abstract Re- Studios. regardless he's doing it all actually puts out a lot of, a bunch of art books and stuff too oh well yeah the but. guy is doing everything and he puts out some of the highest quality comic stuff out there it is a little more expensive but it's because of his size he's small he's doing it the hard way and he's putting out a great comic book terry moore gets my golden beppo who is your best writer artist joe patrick there's a darwin cook joke in here somewhere but i can't rightfully give it to him i can't come up with it like i did last year yeah did we get a parker book this year no we didn't get a parker book this year he's been doing minute i think we did I think Parker the score came out in 2012. Regardless, as much as I love Darwin Cook, he did not get my Golden Beppo. Just squeaking in under the wire, returning to comics after what seems like a decade away, my Golden Beppo for best writer slash artist goes to Mike Mignola. With one issue. With one? Well, yeah. Uh huh. I have next week's Hellboy already. So, uh, okay. Two issues. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mike Mignola. Don't get me wrong. Uh, just, like it's hard to beat it, no that's fair that's fair i i don't know many people that can be mentioned in the same breath as mike bignola in terms of a uh, creative force uh or a storyteller uh no one has a better more fleshed out world than mike bignola and his hellboy bprd universe absolutely and to have him come back to comics as an artist to do hellboy in hell is a big deal 
like it's like Brian Vaughn coming back to comics and like like having Mike Mignola back in comics is a good thing for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. He gets my golden and that's not say he never left. He left. He was writing a lot no, of stuff. No, but, but he hasn't he's been hands off the right. art table for a long time. Doing the whole job. I mean, it's good to have him back. Absolutely. He gets my golden Beppo for 2012 Matt Bomb. We already did yours. Yes, we did. <laughs> As you know, all artists can write, but not all writers can draw. if dc has proven anything it's that all artists can write (laughs) but not all writers can draw which is odd so now we're going to talk about the best writer of 2012 i don't know if that's a compliment or an insult or what joe patrick there was a lot of really good choices this year man we talked about it before it's such a great year for comics and especially for writers. People are following writers now more than they ever did. I think it's true. I think it's safe to say that. More than artists, certainly. Yeah. And for reasons we stated earlier in the show, my uh, Golden Bevel for Best Writer has to go to Brian K. Period Vaughn for coming back to co- the comics world after a lengthy absence and turning it on its head Fair enough. with uh, Saga. Nobody gets the attention that Vaughn gets just by glancing in comic books general direction (laughs) and for him to come back to comics and then knock it out of the park like you said with a comic book featuring characters nobody's ever heard of yeah it's on it is unheard of genre bending can't be put into a box and yet is the probably the best-selling independent comic book not called walking dead fair enough uh brian Kavon gets my golden bevel for best writer of the year good choice good choice Lay it on me. I guess I started thinking about... I, I wanted to say Brian K. Vaughn as well because of how original that story is, and it's amazing. But I started looking at guys with a body of work that came out this year, and it came down to Brian Wood, who, as I said, reinvented Conan and has been killing it on the massive, also doing a really good job on on the adjective-less X-Men and the ultimate X-Men. Yeah. But ultimately, I had to... No pun intended. Ultimately, Hey-o. I had to go with Jonathan Hickman. Between his Avengers, his new Avengers, his Fantastic Four, his FF, his Manhattan projects, everything this guy touches is gold. Yeah. I cannot think of a Jonathan Hickman project that I did not enjoy. He is wonderful at what he does. I'm giving my best writer to Jonathan Hickman. And if you're just a writer <laughs> and you can't draw your own book, well, then you're going to have to find an artist. So let's talk about the best artist of 2012. Matt Bomb, why don't you kick us off? Who was your favorite artist of the year? I thought about this one really hard, and it, it would have been really easy for me to say Stuart Immerman because he's working so far outside of himself right now, and he's always been good, but he got even better somehow. I don't even know how that happened, but he got even better. Sarah Pacelli is another pick that I wanted to throw out there because she's just incredible, and she seems to have come out of nowhere. How could I have missed Spider-Man for best miniseries? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just <laughs> figured you didn't think it was the sorry, best. Sorry, sorry. Non-sequitur there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Javier Polito, again, had a banner year. Paulo Rivera had an, a banner year. But ultimately, I went with a guy that I didn't see a whole lot from. He didn't have a huge body of work this year. But what he did impressed me so much. Newcomer, James Heron, working for Dark Horse. He did a short stint on Conan the Barbarian. Did uh worked on BPRD, The Long Death. He did an Abe Sapien mini. He did an Abe Sapien mini as well. He is amazing. And the amount of emotion that he brings to his comics, 
it, it, it's he's not a flashy artist. He's good with backgrounds. He's good with action, but he's not a flash guy like Emmerman or Pacelli. Hmm. What James Heron does is makes people look like people in real situations without being photorealistic. The amount of emotion that he put into Conan's face alone was just breathtaking. I think we're going to see a lot more from this guy. He is my favorite. Maybe he should have been newcomer, but he's my best artist of 2012. We do not have a best newcomer award. We don't have a best newcomer award. Maybe we should. No. We're, we're done adding awards. James Heron is my best newcomer. <laughs> and Stuart Immerman is my best artist. <laughs> Well, it should come as no surprise considering how much I've already talked about him in the last hour. My favorite artist of 2012 is David Aja. He may have had other things that he's done this year, but I can't think of anything I have enjoyed visually more than I've enjoyed the last six issues of Hawkeye. Yeah, and it looks unlike anything else on the stands. It really does. He's such an amazing storyteller, and he uses... The medium of comics, the comic page with separate panels, better than anyone, better than any 10 guys that have been doing it for decades. Yeah. And he is just really breathing new life into comics artistically for me. I think he's phenomenal. He's not, as you would say, he's not somebody you would expect on like a big event book. Every piece of David Aja art that I see, every page of David Aja art that I see looks like its own separately composed piece of fine art. Yeah, he thought about it. And, he definitely he thought about it, he mapped it out, he placed it just where it needed to go. It's, and that's not to take away from any other artist. There are a lot of great artists out there. We just talked about some. And I'm sure that they think about the layouts for their art as well, but no one has stood out to me more than David Aja. He gets my Beppo for the year. And finally, it's time for the big ones, the awards you've slogged through this entire show to hear, the best single issue and best series awards. Joe, I know this one is never easy, but what was your best single issue of 2012? This one wasn't easy, uh, but ultimately I gave it to the same writer I gave it to last year, but on a different book. Last year I gave the best single issue, Beppo, to Detective Comics 871. Scott Snyder, the yes. issue where yes. Commissioner Gordon sits in a diner with his son, uh, drawn by Francesco Francavilla. This year goes to Snyder as well, but for Batman number 13, the first part of the Death of the Family crossover uh, with art by Greg Capullo, this is the return of the Joker, and it has got such a chilling scene where the power goes out at the police station, and every time the lights flicker... Joker there's like another, kills another cop. There's another dead cop laying there, yeah. And, and all the while, he's very calmly talking to Commissioner Gordon. Laughing. And, and about, you know, how it's been a long time and how, you know, he's really been thinking of him and how he knows everything about him. Even where you keep that pack of smokes that you hide from your wife underneath the, your mattress in the wiring of the bed. I like to lay under there sometimes and listen to you breathe while you sleep. <laughs> it was really creepy. And that was it for me. That sealed the deal. Once again, Scott Snyder delivering the best single issue read of the year for me. And props to Greg Capullo for making that book visually wonderful. 
It gave us the first real look of the new Joker with his messed up face. Cut off face. And it is terrifying. Yeah, it ended gross. on a cliffhanger that still has not been resolved. Two months later, we don't know what happened to Alfred. Yeah. And I, it really kicked off the death of the family storyline with a bang. I'm giving my Beppo to Batman number 13. Matt Bomb, what was your favorite single issue of the year? I just changed my mind. I had it written down. I, I had picked Hawkeye number three because I loved it. That is I, a great comic. I laughed out loud while I read it. That is the issue and, that had uh, Hawkeye leaping naked from his bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with, they covered his junk. <laughs> with the old Hawkeye head. The, the cover box art <laughs> from West Coast Adventures. Yeah, it's like, you know, smiling Hawkeye over uh, his genitals. It was, uh, that's an uh, astonishing comic. It was fantastic. It's wonderful. But I have to go with Manhattan Project's number one. By Jonathan Hickman, mm-hmm. with art by Nick Patara. Interesting. Where we were introduced to Robert Oppenheimer and his twin brother, Joseph. It was one of the most interesting, scary, bizarre things. And I, everything, from the story to the art, the whole idea behind Manhattan Projects is all these geniuses that we've known through history were secretly working for the U.S. government to basically repel alien invaders. <laughs> and really... and. The other side of it is they weren't necessarily on the losing side. We've kind of been kicking their ass for quite a while. (laughs) It turns out that Robert Oppenheimer is dead, eaten by his twin brother, who is a monstrous lunatic, who is just as intelligent, but terrifying. And they show him growing up as a child, like murdering animals. Not because he hated them, because he was interesting in how they worked. And then after he learned how they worked, he had to put them inside of him so they could be part of him. And in the end of the book, we see Joseph Oppenheimer being brought into the Manhattan Projects. Nobody knows that he's Joseph Oppenheimer. Nobody knows that he is, but he's being brought in to the Manhattan Projects, basically. And the final page is him smiling with this really creepy looking frail kind of bald guy as Nick Patara draws people. (laughs) It's like Hannibal Lecter as uh, this historical figure. And he has his brother's voice in his head because he thinks he ate him and he's a part of him now. And there's just these narrative bubbles, narrative boxes that are saying, hello, savior, hello, inventor. And then the last one says, hello, world breaker. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, God. And speaking of (laughs) color. It's so gross. (laughs) That book has excellent use of color uh, in uh, illustrating red and blue. Yes, the difference between uh, which brother is dominant. Yeah, and because every time we saw Robert scene, Oppenheimer, was there were these really crisp blue like flashbacks, and then whenever they went to Joseph, it was this deep red. And sometimes it got so deep red that you almost lost the art when he was doing like horrifying stuff, like eating his brother, for example. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It was far and away the most original and kick-ass thing I read all year. Manhattan Projects number one gets my best single issue. All right. And now it's time for the main event, the comic book equivalent of the Best Picture Award, the last Golden Beppo of the night. Everyone's tired. The orchestra's ready to play us off. We're way over time. We're usual way, <laughs> way over time. These are the two best comics, as chosen by Matt and I, of 2012. Matt Bomb, what is your vote for the best series of I, the year? I've danced around it all show. And talked about how great it was, but how I wasn't picking it for this, and I wasn't picking it for that. But I think I have to pick it for best series. I'm giving mine to Saga. Brian K. Period Vaughn and Fiona Staples, Saga. What a real shocker. There's nothing else like it out there. It's a critical success. It's a sales success. It's one of the best things I've read in a long time. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. 
it's far and away the best comic book series of 2012. Joe Patrick. And the Golden Pepo goes too. <laughs> I've talked about it pretty much all episode. I have not nominated for categories that probably should have been nominated for because I was saving it for this. My favorite series of the year, hands down. Though there are other important series, there are other great series that deserve your attention. My favorite. The book I look forward to each and every month that came right out of the gate and not only rejuvenated my interest in this character, but increased it a thousandfold is Hawkeye from Marvel Comics by Matt Fraction and David Ayer. That's a great choice. It's a really good choice. And we said it earlier, uh, I think that it's this year's Daredevil. Fair enough. It It is doing for Hawkeye what Mark Way did for Daredevil, and... I literally can't wait for each new issue of this book. And Matt Fraction is just so damn good at his job. I don't think anybody puts a voice in their characters like Matt Fraction. He's so good. Yeah. Like we say, there are lots of other great books, and this is not an easy decision. I should say puts a voice in an established character that we've known for as long as we have, like Matt Fraction, and proved that he can do it, whether he's writing Thor, Hawkeye, now the Fantastic Four. I mean, he can project... His humanity and his creativity wherever he wants, and Hawkeye is just excellent. Yeah, it, I mean, for a book to have the tagline, Hawkeye is an Avenger, this is what happens when he's not an Avenger. Yeah. For a book that is purposefully not about the bombastic cosmic space adventure team-ups yeah. that he has with his Avengers buddies, to be this good is a phenomenal achievement. This book, hands down, gets my golden bevel for best series of 2012. And this concludes the second annual Golden Bevel Awards. Of course, we need to know what you guys thought about how wrong we are in our choices. So hit us up on our Facebook page or go to TwoHeadedNerd.com into the comment section and tell us your choices for all these categories. We love to talk about this stuff. We wouldn't have a show without you guys. We appreciate everybody that voted. Once again, it was a great year of shows. Thank you for joining us. We love each and every one of you, but not as much as we love our comics. Sorry. <laughs> and while you're at TwoHeadedNerd.com telling us how wrong we were, be on the lookout for this week's Answer of the Week, where we will be reviewing this week's comics. It was an odd kind of skip week. It's the last Wednesday of the year. There's only a handful of books. We're going to be talking about them in-depth at length in this week's audio blog. Not safe for work, kitties. Also, a two-headed blog by Joe Patrick and myself detailing the worst of the year. One of these days. Coming very soon. Thanks again for joining us. We're way over time, kids. Let's get to the after parties. I hope you all had a good time. I'm drunk already. I'll see you at Billy Crystal's house. <laughs> and this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Celebrating the Golden Pebbles of 2012. Signing off.